You're listening to the Her Business Beat podcast, where real women share how purpose drives profits and how life harmony can exist with your hustle. I'm Geneva Moresma, the founder of Hearts and Heels, a networking group for women where we work together for flourishing businesses and come together through enriching education and joyful relationships. Whether you're a part-time business owner or a fast-scaling entrepreneur who is also a conscientious leader, you can create soul-led success by fueling your greatest ambitions with pure heart. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of cab, pop in your AirPods, and get ready to check your purpose pulse to create work that matters and the success you desire. On today's episode of Her Business Beat, we're going to get down dirty and a little bit nerdy. We're going to talk about your brain. You might be wondering, Geneva, why in the world are we talking about the brain? Isn't this a podcast about business? Well, let me remind you, your brain does help you make a lot of decisions day to day, and it is the control center for your business. It's actually not your laptop. It's your brain. This topic came to me for a couple reasons. First, if you've listened to maybe the first couple episodes, you know that my background is in behavioral science. I am a lover of all things about the brain, linguistics, all those nerdy things. I have a master's in communication sciences and disorders. My bachelor's degree is in speech language pathology and audiology. So neuroscience was a large part of my studies, and I continue to filter a lot of the things that I go through in business through that analysis of what's going on upstairs. So today I was sitting in a guitar lesson. Yes, I am 45 years old and I am learning to play an instrument for the first time. And I will tell you, it is one of the hardest things that I have ever done. Like one of the hardest things I've ever done is try to put my fingers in these awkward positions that they don't seem to want to go in and then make a note, a chord that actually sounds like something you'd want to listen to. I had my third lesson today. And before my teacher came over, he is a great guy. His name is Kevin Sataris, and he comes over to my house every Thursday afternoon around 3.30. And so, well, for the last three weeks anyway. So he came over today and he asked me a question. He had asked me at one point, how was my anxiety level? So of course I started thinking like, do I look scared? Do I look panicked? Now I will tell you the afternoon of my first lesson before he came over, I felt almost sick to my stomach, not because I was scared to meet a new person. It was just the the fear of doing something brand new. I have this gorgeous guitar. I bought it after a concert. Uh, I saw John Mayer for like the third, fourth time and was inspired to go get a guitar. So I did that. This was before COVID. Took a few lessons. COVID happened. Never jumped back into it. So last month in March, I was working on some projects and I was just feeling so burnt out. I just was feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the first quarter. I have to have energy to get through the rest of this year. I've got big goals. I have big work to accomplish and I've got to get myself back together. I've got to get myself energized again so I can continue producing high quality work. So I sat and thought to myself, reflecting on what was going on with me. And I realized that I was running on empty, but the reason we get to feeling like we're running on empty is actually quite something neurological. So I'll talk to you about a few of those things. One of those things is decision fatigue. 
Fun fact, on any given day, you are making about 35,000 decisions a day. That's pretty insane. But if you think about it, your brain has to make a decision from the moment you wake up. You have to make the decision to actually get up out of bed, right? And then on it goes all the way until you make the decision to get in bed and close your eyes. So 35,000 decisions. And when you are in business, I'd say we could probably easily add another 10,000 decisions a day onto that. Maybe not that many, but you know what I mean? So what's happening though is we are consuming so much energy in our frontal lobes. So there is an area of your brain called your frontal lobe. You've got four lobes in your brain, but that frontal lobe is that space that's responsible for your highest level thinking. We call these executive functions. Why? Think about what does the CEO of a business do? You're probably it. So what do you do? You have to make the highest level decisions You have to control impulses, right? You can't just go towards something because it looks shiny, pretty easy. And you have to relate. You have to contemplate things, weigh things against each other. So all day long, while you're making one of these 35,000 decisions, your prefrontal cortex, which is that frontal lobe area, is on overdrive. So studies have shown actually that when we are working super, super hard especially on things that we do not really care to do, that don't hit our interest levels, we might hit a space of decision fatigue. So after, let's say, six, eight sustained hours of working on a task that's requiring so much of your energy, literally it's taking your brain's energy, what scientists have found is after that time, we are more apt to make impulsive decisions, to take lesser rewards even. It's pretty crazy, but think about this. How many times, and I'm going to be straight flat honest, okay, but because I'm going to throw myself in the camp, but how many times have we had a bad day and, oh, we say it's a bad day, maybe nothing really bad happened. You just are describing a mentally exhausting day and you decide to go home and you drink a couple, three glasses of wine. And guess what? You probably felt worse the next day. So in that space of decision fatigue, you felt like the thing that would make you feel better was probably a glass of wine. Maybe one glass would have been fine, but we've Some of us have been here where, you know, you just get home and you're just trying to run away from the thing that has exhausted you. So you go the whole opposite way. And it might be other things. (laughs) Anybody ever have shopping therapy before? You feel mentally fatigued. So what do you do? You go, hey, you know, I'm going to stop by the mall on my way home from an appointment. I I like to go to the mall still. Or you know what? Even worse, you get on Amazon and you start just loading up your cart with all kinds of crap. And before you know it, you have made another impulsive decision of just spending three, four, five hundred $500 on stuff that you didn't need but it felt good in the moment. So it's just that we're always in the state of trying to move away from what we perceive as threats. So at some point, our work actually becomes something mentally that we see as a threat. It's a threat to how we feel. It's a threat to our brain's capacity and power. It's it's painful in some sense, and we are wired neurologically to avoid pain. So we move away from threats and we try to move towards reward, but in that zapped state, the rewards that you choose may not be the actual best thing for your long-term gain. Of course, we would 
in our right mind, I'm sitting here, I'm very relaxed this evening as I'm recording this. And I might say, you know what, today I might say I should go around my neighborhood and take a walk and that that would be a better, more healthful response to dealing with a stressful day. I say that now because I'm not stressed out, but that's a lot easier to decide to do a healthy thing or a more mentally engaged activity when you are actually fatigued. So just something to think about. So as I was mentally fatigued last month, I started contemplating if I was doing anything to pique my curiosity or engage my creativity. And I think I I probably don't just speak for myself, but the busier we get, especially as women who are often juggling 5 billion things from our families to cooking dinner to making sure the laundry is done, that people that work with us and for us have been paid, all of that stuff. And and just remembering to pay our own bills. Anybody ever forget to pay a bill because you're so busy paying other things? But we sometimes we get into the space where we forget that we have to feed our curiosity. That's kind of what you got into business probably for in the beginning was you were curious if you could apply a solution to a problem that you found. And that's why business was so fun when you first got into it. Over time, we kind of lose a little bit of that. And I'm often reminded when I meet someone new in business that I need to become curious again, that I need to find that space again so that I can innovate the next thing, but also creativity. And you might be thinking as you're listening today that you might say, Geneva, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I can't paint. I can't draw. I can only make a stick figure. Well, I'm with you. I can't really paint or draw or do any of those things. So creativity, we have kind of defined that societally as visual creativity and that it has to produce something that's like highly artistic. So I'd like to challenge that thought with just saying, when's the last time that you did something for just joy, or maybe it wasn't so joyful in the beginning, like my music lesson, lesson one, I wouldn't count that joy. I would say that was quite the challenge, lesson two, but I'm going to tell you what happened today. So in lesson three, I actually was able to play four different chords, like be able to go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And I kind of had this moment of remembering, I could recall the memory of that first lesson that I had with Kevin and how anxious I felt and how awkward my fingers felt on the strings of this instrument, especially because it's my left hand having to do all this work. And I'm a very strong right-handed person. But then today, when I saw what happened, when I just pushed myself into something creative and new and something that had very little consequence, I guess I could say. So even if I'm the suckiest guitar player on the planet for the rest of my life, it's okay, right? Like it's not affecting anything. The only thing it's affecting is maybe my pocketbook a little bit because it's something I'm putting money towards. But there's nothing that's crucially detrimental to my well-being emotionally or physically. It's not threatening me in any way. And so someone asked me recently when I was telling them, I'm like, this guitar thing is so hard. And and so he was like, well, if it's not fun, he's like, why are you doing it? And I said, well, because it's stretching me and I know it's good for my brain. So find 
something that's creative that either feels good, like maybe you like to do something that feels good and you don't have to be great at it, but if it feels like a release, awesome. Or find something that's like totally new because that's also good for your brain. It develops new neural connections, which keeps your brain sharp. And something like music, exploring an instrument, maybe it's something you played when you were younger and you haven't touched in a long time actually re-engages your brain in a whole other way than just work. Music and creativity tend to integrate both sides of your brain quite nicely. And any activity you can do that integrates the left and the right side of the brain together is great, great neural exercise. So when you're finding yourself running on empty, go for curiosity and creativity. Find something to do that engages those spaces of your mind. And here's some other things that we can do. I want to, you know, remind you, you probably learned this back in high school science class that your brain is made up of like 70% water. So it's the reason why when we're dehydrated, we feel, we feel it, right? It doesn't take a lot of dehydration for your brain to actually respond quite negatively because it requires a lot of water. Just knowing these kinds of things about your brain sometimes as geeky as it sounds, but when I know that like I haven't had adequate water intake, I can think of it from a just a straight neurological perspective of like, I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling because my brain is not, it's not being watered. (laughs) Talk about it like a plant, but it's not being hydrated. That's a better choice of word, right? And so I think by just understanding little bits about the way that we are designed, um, what that human design is, we can actually understand why we're feeling the way we're feeling. And I think that that is the key to feelings not overtaking us. If I can logically state, I feel a little, I don't know, bummed out, weird, moods off. And maybe it's because I haven't had adequate water intake today and I go replenish myself that way. I might find that I feel better. Other things that we, you know, need to be aware of is that even though your brain is 2% of your body's mass, it actually accounts for about 20% of its energy usage. So that's pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing that your brain actually uses that much energy. So the average person, your brain alone is consuming over 300, about 320 calories a day just on its own functions. So like you, you know, you probably never thought about that. Your brain is actually consuming calories and that's a big chunk of your calories. If you eat, you know, 1500 to 2000 calories a day, 320 calories is a lot of energy that's being consumed by something that's not a moving muscle. It's just something that's, that's in your, in your head that actually requires a ton of energy store. So back to that whole, we don't make the best decisions when we run on empty. Let's think about it again, right? When you're running on empty, what do you tend to do? You're going to grab at food that's fast, quick, simple to eat. It's going to also be food that plays to your sensory system. It's creamy. It tastes good. It's hot. It's cheesy. It's whatever sweet. I have such a horrible sweet tooth. But all of those things feed our brains, not always in the right way, but it just shoots up all these neurotransmitters that make us feel good in the moment, right? It's kind of like a drug. And then we crash off of that and we don't feel so good the next day when we we wake up after a cheeseburger and too many glasses of wine. Again, knowing that your brain is consuming this much energy 
it gives us pause to think about what am I actually feeding my mind? And our brains need a lot, a lot, a lot of amino acids. Your brain needs amino acids to function. So where does that come from? Well, it comes from high quality protein sources. So making sure that you're eating adequate protein is really good for your brain. Making sure that you're eating those nuts, those berries, all of those things good for our brain. You can, you can Google good brain foods and find all this information, but Sometimes I think we put diet in this lower space. We we talk a lot about our mental health, which don't get me wrong, we need to, but diet plays a lot into your brain's health. So just from a healthy brain perspective of like the physiological piece of your brain, but also thinking about your sensory system, your emotional system, your limbic system, all of these things require proper nourishment. You have to remember, like you are not, I don't know what to say. I'm trying to compare to cars. If you're as old as I am, you're not a Yugo. I don't know if you remember the Yugo. It was this like tiny little car back in the eighties that was like $3,900. It was just this little economical car that people bought because they just wanted a car, right? But you're not that. You are like this high priced Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever. And you would not take an expensive vehicle and put junk inside of the gas tank and then expect that it would actually run properly, right? That would not make sense. So you have to remember, you are like that expensive car or, hey, let's go, let's, you're, you're a Louis, right? You're not going to take your nice Louis Vuitton bag and just go like sling it all over the place and kick dirt on it. But somehow that's what we tend to do with our bodies, right? We get tired, frustrated, stressed, and we make these choices that are actually working against the things that we need in order to function better. So I had all these realizations when I decided to sign up for guitar that I was doing things that were just driving the the mental fatigue, also creating less energy for me to do the work. So had a lot of, um, I guess, reset moments. And the thing is, is we have to give ourselves grace. We are going to fall into seasons where we're not our best friend. We should be our best friend, but there are seasons in life where we put all the other needs of everybody's work needs, their products we need to deliver to them, what we need to be for our families, our kids, all of these things ahead of taking care of ourselves. Just remember when you get to a point where you know that you are running on empty, you are decision fatigued, you are maybe feeling physical pain, is that those are all your your body's ways of actually communicating to you that something needs to change. It's trying to give you a grace period of going, okay, girlfriend, like you got all these signs we're trying to give you and you've got time right now to turn the ship around. But what happens when we don't, when, when we ignore our body's fatigue signs, fatigue is telling us to stop pain is telling us to stop. If you are finding yourself emotional, having headaches, other physiological symptoms, your body is trying to give you the warning signs and give you a a grace period to say, you know what, let's change something. But the great thing is, is that we have the power to change our habits. And it doesn't have to be monumental changes, but sometimes just building awareness of our brains and going, okay, I'm going to push myself into a nervous breakdown. I'm going to push myself into being hyper-emotional. I'm going to push myself into being cranky and crabby with my family. 
if I don't do something. And the something can sometimes be as simple as a hobby, re-engaging something you used to do, working in exercise into your routine, playing an instrument, gardening, getting outside, all those things. I might've already said that one, but you get what I'm saying is that you have the power once you have the realization of where you are mentally and what your body is communicating to turn some things around. Here's some other things that you might want to do. Automate choices. So remember I told you that you're making about 35,000 decisions a day. So what if you could lessen those decisions? Because there are going to be days that require more than those 35,000. And some, sometimes one single decision, I had to make a couple decisions recently that felt like the equivalent. They felt heavy, right? Like it was like one of those counted for probably 500 decisions. But if we automate our choices, we lessen the amount of brain power that we actually need to make decisions. What does that look like? If you have routines in place, you're automating decisions. Your brain loves routine. It actually just makes your brain's life a lot easier. So if you have a morning routine that starts calm, that gives you time, that maybe starts in prayer, meditation, whatever it is that you need in the first part of the day to get going, and then your morning has a set schedule and even in your work. This is why block scheduling is so effective. If you have routines, you are automating the choices that your brain now does not have to make. It's already there. It's functioning on autopilot and in a good way. So what does that do? That actually alleviates a bunch of your neurological energy store in order to do the harder things that come because it does come, right? So that's one thing you can do. And then something else is avoid multitasking. I have heard people before say like, I'm a great multitasker. None of us is good at multitasking. Our brains are not built to do that, actually. We are built to single task. So yes, there are times where we have to squeeze in and do a bunch of things because it's only 24 hours in a day, right? But in all actuality, our brains do not do well when we are constantly shifting gears. If I'm trying to write emails, create a social media post, uh, respond to a phone call, check my uh, Instagram account, like we can't do all those things. And then trying to throw dinner on the stove too, <laughs> doesn't work. Okay. I'm actually going to be minimally effective at all the things I'm doing. I might forget steps. I might end up producing work that is not my best. That's why that block scheduling is so effective too, is that you eliminate multitasking. And we have to kind of get over this fear too of that if I don't do all these things at the same time, I'm not going to get through them. You're actually making it take longer. You might think you're doing things more efficiently, but if you broke down those tasks and did those tasks in their own time, you would find that you probably get through things a lot quicker. So the last thing I'm going to hit on is just talking about our emotional state and the part of our brain responsible for that quite a bit is our limbic system. So within your limbic system, you have this tiny little almond shaped um, little piece of that limbic system that is called the amygdala. And the amygdala is responsible in your brain. It's, it's quite interesting. This tiny little piece is responsible for emotional learning. So what does that mean? Well, it can be positive or negative. Emotional learning might be if you've ever smelled something and it takes you back to some like amazing place of your childhood, 
where you go, gosh, that's how my grandma's house smelled, or that's what my mother's best cookies smelled like. And you are just transported into this almost euphoric space in time because of your sensory system. You have emotional learning that's occurred. There have been so many instances where you were exposed to that stimulus that that has just set into your brain. And now when you smell something or you see something that's, that's friendly and familiar, you get this like, oh, ah, kind of feeling, right? But it also works the other way around. When we have passed through trauma, we have now mapped emotional learning that is not good. It's, when I say it's not good, but it it's emotionally mapped in our minds in order to keep us safe. So when we experience a trauma once, maybe twice, three times, those things keep mapping in our minds. And that way we are more keen to recognize when danger is coming. So our brains are intricately designed to keep us safe and protect us. But sometimes, unfortunately, the things that we map and we emotionally learn are not necessarily to our benefit. For instance, if you've had a really rough conversation with somebody that worked for you before, and you then, I don't know, maybe that was just a really bad situation, you had to fire someone, or maybe somebody talked at you in such a way that was disrespectful and unkind. And then a similar situation, let's say it's three years later, starts to happen and you all of a sudden flash back to like, oh my gosh, this is the same thing happening again. You are going to feel this rush of adrenaline and this fight or flight response kicks in, your defenses kick up and you start to think like, I'm going to get ahead of the situation, right? So maybe you make decisions that are proactive and good out of that. But a lot of us, unfortunately, if we've gone through something that's felt quite traumatic to us, whether it's been family trauma, work trauma, uh, just very hard times. We will do things, again, we're always trying to avoid pain and we're always trying to move away from threats and towards reward. So quite often we will quickly, our brains will assess an issue and go, oop, red flag, flashing red lights. And actually we are kind of prejudging a situation before it's played out. So this is a space where we might feel sometimes that our emotions are leading us away from logic. But again, if you understand the mind and understand that that limbic system is there for your protection, but sometimes our limbic system is faulty and that it overrides our, our what should be our logical response, it doesn't give us enough time sometimes to assess the situation. And for that prefrontal cortex, that frontal lobe process to kick in and actually do its job and analyze correctly and make logical decisions. But if we know this, this is going to sound weird, but we can talk to our brain, right? Like if I know I can say, okay, like this is an emotional response. It's probably a fight or flight response. Can I step away from the situation? Can I ask for a break from the conversation? Can I step away from the email that just triggered me and go take some breaths and give myself time before I (laughs) get on that keyboard again and say something that might not be the most beneficial to the situation? So we can call this actually, it's kind of got a, um, a name, like we will talk about an amygdala hijack, because that's exactly what that piece of your brain can do to logical processes and reasoning if we don't keep it in check. 
So that definitely does affect business because you might be apt to make a very impulsive, emotional, kind of trauma-driven response towards something that if you would just step away from, you're going to make a much more informed, sound decision that might not affect you so much. But because we're functioning quite frequently as humans in this fight or flight response, we tend to do things that we think are going to keep us safe. You know, so just, I think, becoming aware of ourselves, finding time for quiet, it's so important. It's so important. And I think as I've spent the last few weeks tinkering on this guitar, yes, I'm making noise, but I turn everything else off. I'm in the house by myself. I just sit there and there's nothing else calling for my attention. We need that. Like we need those spaces and time to just take a walk outside, tinker with something, draw, doodle, write, whatever it is, just to quiet our minds because we are bombarded with so much in this world, so much, all of us every day. So my encouragement to you today is to get a little more curious, explore your creativity, and talk to your brain. <laughs> if you talk out loud, people might think you're a little little off. Don't tell them I told you to do that. But you know what? That self-talk, it's so important and just your emotional regulation, your ability to lead proper business, your ability to uh, lead in your community is that if you can figure yourself out on an emotional level and on a logical level and find some harmony in those things, I promise you your outcomes will be greater. And you'll also be able to kind of clear the clouds that stir around you and sometimes keep you from seeing the end vision, which is ultimately where you're going. It's why we can't avoid all pain because life does have scary things happen in it and painful things, but not all painful and scary things are to harm us, right? Some scary and painful things are to shape us. When somebody is creating a beautiful piece of glass sculpture, it has to go through fire. It has to. There's no other way to do that except to put it through fire. I want you to just take this, rest on it. You might be like, what the heck? I was kind of um, hesitant to even put this message out, but I felt like it was something I was recently grappling with and talking to myself about, and maybe, maybe it's going to be helpful to someone else. Listen to yourself. Listen to your brain. Know that you don't need to give in to your amygdala hijacking you and that you've got power over your situation today. Thanks for tuning in to Her Business Beat. I hope you found some sunshine for your business journey or heard something that made your purpose pulse beat faster. Please hit subscribe, write us a review, and share this episode with a friend. Tune back in for new episodes soon.